Welcome to Write Now with Scrivener, where writers talk about how they work, how they develop their ideas, and how they use Scrivener, the app built for long-form writing projects. I'm your host, Kirk McElhern, author of Take Control of Scrivener. Today, I'm happy to welcome Becca Caddy. Becca is a journalist and author, and she's written a really interesting book called Screen Time about how we use computing devices. Becca, thank you very much for joining me. Hi, thank you for having me. So, Becca, you're an addict. <laughs> yeah, I I use tech a lot, and I always have. And, you know, that's that's the reason that the book just seemed to make a lot of sense and why I seem to be kind of very well placed to write it because everyone I spoke to feels exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, you opened the book by saying that you're a tech addict. And I think, are we tech addicts or is it just natural? You know, I think back every once in a while, someone posts a photo on Twitter or someplace of all these men on a commuter train reading the same newspaper, right? Yeah. And comparing that with all the people looking at their phones. Is it that different when we read the newspaper on a train or look at our phones? Um, in many ways, no. Um, and I actually really, I, I yeah, I really don't like the word addiction. I, I write about it in the book how I think, I think that's such a loaded word and refers to some very serious addictions. And I think, you know, I really hope this doesn't come back to bite me in like 10 years when tech is a tech is a major addiction and you know we're all getting lots of therapy for it but I kind of think for now yeah I don't I don't I don't think it's the best word so I joke about being an addict definitely um but I much prefer to say maybe like habits even bad habits I don't know if I like the bad of bad habits yeah. How much of it is bad and how much of it is just this is the way the world is now? Yeah, exactly. And and I and I and I'm really kind of passionate about getting that across to people really, because I think I've noticed, at least among people I know, the more they worry about their tech use, uh, the more they end up kind of in that um uh, restricting their use from it and then almost like uh using it way too much. And so I I think if we could actually talk about it in a way that isn't so loaded, then it probably would be, it would be helpful because, you know, words have power, don't they? And if we're calling ourselves addicts, I don't know what, what that's doing to us really. Yeah. Well, it's true that these phones give us dopamine hits, whether it's getting a text message that you've been waiting for or playing Candy Crush Saga, it's dopamine hits all day long. And there is an element of addiction, isn't there? Yeah, there is. It's, um, I mean, yeah, dopamine is such a complex kind of uh, the way it works. But yeah, it is It is similar that there's a similar mechanism going on. It's just so much more heightened in, say, like a a, a drug addiction. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a compulsion there, definitely. Um, and it's one that I know a lot of us don't like and wish we could change. So you want to throw away your phone? No, no, I'm very anti-throwing away my phone, actually. I'm very like, how can we make peace with our devices is my kind of, uh, is my whole jam. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think sometimes we definitely need to keep it away from us, especially before bed. I I notice such a difference in my sleep if I am looking at my phone in like the hour before bed. That's the biggest kind of thing I, I, I kind of advocate that everyone should change. But um, yeah. Are, are you Apple or Android? Apple. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because because Apple, I don't know Android very well, but Apple has all these built-in features called screen time, yes. which allow you to limit the number of hours you access certain apps, certain types of apps, and you can use it to control your children's access to the devices. Have you ever tried using them? Uh, yeah. So it's quite ironic, really, that I wrote the I wrote the 
I wrote my book um, and I feel like I have a really good grasp of my use of Twitter and Instagram and emails. Then TikTok came along and uh, I feel like everything that is, let's say, problematic about, say, like Instagram and Twitter is just uh, so much heightened, more heightened on TikTok. There are no kind of stopping cues, which I talk about in the book. You know, there's no there's no reason to ever stop scrolling TikTok. Um, I think everything's very catchy, the little noises used and things, the trending sounds. So I do definitely set limits for TikTok um, because I know that I just can't trust myself there at all. <laughs> when you first turned on screen time on your iPhone and looked after a day or two, were you surprised at how many hours you had spent doing different things? You know what? I think I expected that I used social media much more Um there are some things that I expected that I used much more and I actually didn't. And then, you know, vice versa. So I think those kind of stats are actually really, really handy because uh, there's a study I think I referenced in the book somewhere that people do really overestimate their use of tech in some respects and really underestimate it in others. So I think having it set out like that kind of bar chart like they do in um, screen time in the iOS settings is so important because I just don't think... I just don't think we're really aware of how much we use our phones and what for. And I think self-reporting is really problematic when it comes to phone use as well, because we're, we're, you know, we're doing it when we feel a bit mindless and we're tired and we're stressed. So we're not going to be aware of how exactly we, we, we're using them, I don't think. Or we're doing it when we're sitting in the waiting room before seeing the dentist who's late. And at least it gives us something to do instead of stare at the wall, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's why, you know, that's why I don't think demonizing uh, using tech is is helpful to anyone at all. Um, and yeah, it can just be really nice to, I was going to say switch off, but ironically, it's the exact opposite of that. But um, switch off from the world around us and, um, you know, play a game or check something or write or whatever it is that we're doing on our phones. I think it's actually it can be really soothing. Now, you and I were both tech journalists, so we use our phones both for leisure activities, but also for work. I don't know about you, but I get a lot of important news from Twitter, from the Apple News app, from Google News, from The Guardian, other newspapers and all that. So it's really hard for me to separate the work from the non-work. Now, there are a lot of other people, if you're in a corporate job, you're going to be getting emails all the time. You got to check your phone. It It's kind of hard to separate the work from the non-work, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think, and I think I think that's when a lot of people talk about being burned out, actually, what what is going on there, among a lot of other things, you know, is that there is no kind of uh, delineation now between um, between work and home life. And that can that can be really stressful. And that's why people feel like they always need to be on, because in some respects, people are in jobs a bit like us, maybe where we we kind of do always need to be on. Otherwise, we're going to miss something, not be able to pitch a story, miss an email, miss a deadline, something like that. So um yeah, I think that's a real problem. And I don't know what the answer is, really, because I can only see it happening more. Um, I, I guess kind of intentionally blocking out time that is for ourselves, things like that. Um, but that's, you know, that's easy for me to say because I work for myself. I know there are people that just would not be able to do that at all. Yeah, exactly. I work from home and I, I'm a freelancer, so I can set my own schedule. But when you think of people in jobs and they're expected to answer emails out of work hours, that can be a problem. Now, I believe it's in France where the they had a court case that said you can't require employees to answer emails outside of work hours. And that's really positive. But what do you do? Do you 
you can't really set a certain email account to not be checked between this time and that. That's something Apple should add, actually. So only check this account between you know, 9, 9 a.m. and 5 p.m., something like that. So you don't check your work account at other times. But if you're at home in the evening and you look and there's going to be emails, you maybe you don't answer them, but you're going to read them and you're going to internalize them. Yeah. And, you know, that's why I think um, that's why I think those kind of settings, uh, I think it's called digital well-being on Android and then screen time on iOS. That's why I think those things are so important, because I think expecting us not to pick up our phones and just have a quick look is I don't know. I think that's I think that's too difficult for a lot of us. So actually having those like uh, limits and things in place, I think that's really important. You talk about focus in the book, and this is one of the big criticisms of screens and tech that people don't have attention spans anymore and people can't focus. And I don't use TikTok regularly. Every once in a while, I check it out because I'm writing about the privacy settings or something like that. And you can just swipe for 15 minutes without realizing the time has passed. But I'm not sure how much that affects my focus in the rest of life. I know there's all sorts of studies that say it does and it doesn't. What, what do you think about that? I think it's, yeah, I think that's such a uh, contentious issue at the moment because there are a lot of people, a lot of researchers who think, yeah, our attention is broken. And they always use really, <laughs> they always use really uh, sensational words like that. You know, our brains are broken or whatever. Um, and, you know, there are... There are some studies that show that the way we pay attention, the way we remember things is a bit different, but I'm definitely earing on the other side that it, it it's not as scary or worrying as we think, or if, 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 if the way we're able to focus is changing, it's only just an evolution that's going alongside the technology and nothing we should really be too concerned about. I think I saw the other day there was... Um, I think it was it was from hundreds of years ago, and I don't think it was the printing press, but it was some invention. And you could see the same kind of moral panic about um, you know, will all our attention our attention will be affected, or our ability to read more than a certain amount, or something. And and it was like, wow. Well, didn't didn't Plato say that having things written down means that people won't remember them anymore? Yeah, it goes back that far. I, you know what? I was just. Thinking was it was it that was it going back that far yeah i think it might have been and and i put in the book some other examples of like people worrying about the telephone and how that's going to destroy uh you know literally the landline not smartphone yeah and um, how that's going to destroy the way we communicate and there'll be no community anymore and things like that so i i do think in some ways there are things we need to be concerned about but in others this is kind of just the cyclical worry about how tech will impact impactors that comes around again and again anytime there's any kind of innovation really well how anything new impacts us you think of the comic book scare in the 50s in the united states that yes. children were going to be corrupted by comic books well maybe they were because that my generation isn't very healthy but <laughs> every time there's a new technology like that they're worried about something oh these new automobiles they're going to change the way we travel and yes they do and we have to adapt to it yeah what i find now this could just be age i'm a generation older than you what i find is if I'm working on a project and something crosses my mind, oh, I need to check this later. If I don't write it down, it's gone. So I do find maybe there's a different kind of focus when we're working on screens and when we're not. But again, it could just be my age. Yeah. And and, and also, uh, I mentioned in the book, there's a lot of studies about um, memory and how when we, because we have the ability to say, write things down whenever we think of them, create this job list, say, in our notes app on our phone. Because we have that, 
maybe we don't need to remember things in the same way we did. I know a lot of people are always like, I can't remember phone numbers anymore. And it's like, well, do you need to? Like, yeah. <laughs> when do you need to? Um, and I think that's a, there are some researchers that believe that's a kind of natural, um, I don't know if offsetting is the word, but something akin to that. So when we have all this technology at our disposal, then why wouldn't we change the way we think and remember and focus? Because it's there, because we have it. Curiously, I still remember the very first telephone number of my my parents' home when I was a kid. I still remember it. Yeah, me too, actually. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> I, I don't remember many other phone numbers from that, that back then, like friends. And actually, the phone number is interesting because there's something about we can easily remember like up to seven digits. Right, yes. But more than that, it's difficult. So they figured out at some point that, you know, if they make it much longer, it'll be harder. Now, you can add an area code, right? Like a three-digit or even here, it's like a five-digit area code. But as long as it's a discrete unit, we can remember it. But we can't remember things that are very long. Me memory's weird. And I wonder if, you know, I've gotten into the habit, if I need to look anything up, if I need to know any information, it's Google, right? It's there immediately. And I don't know, back in the day, I'd go to a dictionary, I'd go to an encyclopedia, I'd, you know, read a book. And it just seems to me that it's better that I can get a recipe for hummus in 15 seconds instead of having to go find one in a book someplace. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I I totally agree. I do I do wonder if that's what's made me chronically impatient though because <laughs> the, the the thought that I'd have to wait more than 3 seconds to find a recipe for hummus is just <laughs> like what? <laughs> um and I wonder if that applies to other areas of my life, but yeah, I I, I agree. It's it I I think it's a great thing. Yeah. I was talking to someone recently who has recently become single, and I was wondering if he was going to be involved in online dating. And someone of my generation who hasn't grown up like that. And the question is, how much does that change human relations? The fact, I mean, you're young enough that you grew up with it, and I'm old enough that I didn't grow up with it. And I wonder if this has changed the way that humans get along and meet and, and discover each other. Yeah, Um it's a weird one, isn't it? I haven't had much first-hand experience of, of, of dating apps, but the people I talk to, um, it's odd because they say it's a really miserable experience sometimes, but then at the same time, it's amazing that you can meet people you wouldn't normally meet, opens up so many more horizons for kind of to find people that um, share more interest than you know anyone you might meet in kind of your local area. So I think in that way, I don't know. You know what? It's really similar to what people say about um, using their phones. Like there are so many benefits, but sometimes the actual act of of swiping through dating apps is really miserable and kind of soul destroying. And that's interesting. That that's I've never really put two and two together in that in that sense before. That's exactly what people say about something like Twitter. They got their job through it, say, and it's great and it's done all these things. But at the same time, actually using it sometimes is is not pleasant. Um, and there's that kind of sense of, I, I know when I was writing the book and I mentioned dating a little bit in there, that sense of it being so clinical and something really unhuman about um, swiping through people's faces. So, yeah, it, it, it's hard. Yeah. The thing is, 
we adapt to these things. And I think there's always going to be a period when something is new that we have trouble adapting. And maybe it takes a generation. I have a son who's about your age. He's as digital a native as possible, although not really. He didn't have a first computer until he was a teenager. But still, he's grown up with all of this. And and people who are younger now, they've just grown up and it's just normal. Whereas older people find it difficult to... I, I think a lot of people are making the comparison and saying, this is better, this is worse, whereas it's just different. We just have to accept that things have changed. I, li- I really like that. I totally agree. I think it's just an evolution. Things have changed, will change along with it. Older generations may sometimes feel a little bit left out and it takes them longer to get used to things. Um, I know, say, um, my, my parents at one point felt uh, I had to explain what social media was to them all the time. Now they're using it loads. Like, so... You know, people eventually catch up. And I think that is just, again, that natural kind of cycle of innovation and how, how, how it works. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about how you use Scribner to write your book. Writing a book, screenplay, or even a long article is a juggling act. You need to find the right words and the right structure, keep track of research, and refer to notes. Tailor-made for long writing projects, Scrivener is the go-to app for writers of all types. Scrivener combines a typewriter, binder, and corkboard in a single app. A project outline makes it easy to get an overview of your work and flip between sections. Refer to research alongside your writing and just drag and drop to rearrange your work. Write in any order in sections as large or small as you like and let Scrivener stitch it all together when you're ready to share your words with the world. With Scrivener, you'll find everything you need to start writing and keep writing. Scrivener is available for Mac, Windows, iPad, and iPhone. Download the free trial from ScrivenerApp.com. Right now with Scrivener listeners can get a 20% discount with the coupon code PODCAST. That's ScrivenerApp.com. So you have a chapter in your book entitled Privacy and Security, and... To me, since a lot of my work writing about technology is around these topics, um, I think this is something that most people don't really think about, that they can write things on social media that are relatively personal, thinking that no one else is ever going to see them except the friend that they've written to or their Facebook friends. And yet they're giving away an awful lot of information that is not only personal and potentially damaging, but could be used for things like identity theft. Yeah, you're right. I mean, like you say, there are a few different examples of how that could be really detrimental. Like, I know there's been um, news reports of people who, you know, got fired from jobs or didn't get interviews or whatever because uh, uh, potential employers have seen their social media profiles. And I think, you know what, I think it's similar to what we were saying earlier about that blending of of, of personal life and work life and how that there's no line on the internet. Like there's, there's nothing about Twitter that says these are your personal tweets, these are your work-based tweets. And I think that can be quite hard for people to maybe um, understand and, and find that and find that balance and find that line. And, uh, and then in terms of things that could be a kind of security risk, I think you're totally right. I think, you know, I saw it the other day, I think it was called, um, I mentioned it on, a, on another podcast the other day, I think it was called an innovation golf. Um, that idea between um, a, a gulf between how quickly everything's moving, how much we use technology and the kind of uh, regulatory and privacy and all the things on this side that we just haven't figured out yet. Even on a 
even at the level of uh, tech companies, right? Like the ethics boards and things just aren't seem all over the place. But especially in terms of um, just users, us, people, um, I, I don't think we've really learned how to properly use things to not um, put ourselves at risk in maybe quite a lot of ways, yeah. If you think of the kind of questions you see sometimes on Facebook in these sort of polls, like, what was the first concert you ever saw? Now, that used to be one of the security questions that Apple used when they used security questions for your account. You'd choose three security questions, and one of them was that. What was your first concert? What was your first car? What was the name of your first pet? And people will reply to this stuff on Facebook, and this is being harvested for potentially using it against people. There's a wonderful film called Now You See Me, I believe, where it's these magicians, and they do a scam on on Michael Caine, and there's a scene in an airplane where they're asking these random questions about, you know, your uncle and where you grow up and all this. And then they eventually showed that they used them to get into his bank account and steal millions of dollars, which they were actually giving away. So it was a kind of Robin Hood thing. But people overshare a lot because for some reason they don't have that barrier that they would have when they're meeting a stranger in the pub where they would think, well, I don't know you. I'm not going to tell you so many things. On social media, there's no barrier, is there? Yeah, exactly. I think one researcher called it like context blending or something like that. There's just, there's no barrier between these different worlds at all. Um, and I also think, I often wonder, is it because, you know, is it because we're using these things quite mindlessly sometimes? Like some of the things I tweet, I haven't really thought about them a great deal. Or is it sometimes, um, I, I don't know, akin to say like uh, media literacy, like th th that some people use these platforms without really thinking about the implications, um, especially people who are maybe like newer to Facebook or older generations who are just kind of getting started on Facebook. Um, so I think that's definitely a concern. And I think, you know, I was talking to someone the other day who said that the answer might be to just talk to our older relatives about how to use these things. And um and just kind of educate the people around us. Here in the UK, we celebrate something called Ed Balls Day. It's the day that a politician named Ed Balls signed up to Twitter. And the first thing he did is he typed his name, Ed Balls, and tweeted it. And it showed the total cluelessness of him using Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I think there have, there have been some weird cases like that of politicians recently. I don't know who it was that signed up to TikTok and just got it all wrong. And uh, yeah, a mess. It's like, I would have thought they'd have such a big, board of kind of PR people working behind the scenes, but yeah. <laughs> so you use Scrivener to write this book. Do you also use Scrivener for your articles? Yeah. Um, it's almost like my articles, when they get to a certain length, I think if I, if I, I'd say if I write anything over about a thousand words, because, you know, I write quite a lot of news pieces that aren't that long. So as it gets to about a thousand words and I've got interviews to do, I've got research to incorporate, it goes in Scrivener, definitely. You write on your bio on your website, I enjoy falling into research rabbit holes. Are you one of those people that has a huge research folder in your Scrivener projects of all this stuff that you then go through and cull to write? Absolutely, yeah. So the, the uh, a way that I did it for the book is <laughs> I have so many folders in a Scrivener project. Um, and so I'll have folders that are the initial research. I'll then put some of that down, take out the key points, summaries, interrogate those, create more folders of the same kind of sets of research, and then create kind of final bits that will go into the book. So I'm doing loads of hand wavy movements right now, but I'm basically trying to, yeah, there's there's almost like three sections of, of folders, three sections of research. So I really 
yeah, I use I use a lot of folders. <laughs> it sounds like you're using it to filter data information as well as to write the project. Yeah, that's really the way I work. So I um I'm one of those people who um a a sentence or a thought or an idea will never come out fully formed. I have to get everything down, whether it's collecting all the research or writing loads and loads of rough notes. Um, I find that, you know, I mean, it's such a kind of trite writer thing to say, but if there's nothing there, you you can't work on it, you can't edit it. But that's exactly how I feel. Um, so yes, I, I and I and I do use Scrivener in that way. Actually, I don't have um, I don't just have kind of like uh, the things I'm working on and then the final document. I have loads of different folders and sections and 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 I yeah yeah. I, I realize I've said folders hundreds of times, but it's because I have so many. <laughs> How long have you been using Scrivener? So I've had my eye on Scrivener for a long time, but I just didn't feel like I could just did by getting it until I got a book deal. So as soon as I got my book deal, that was it. Ah. I was like, we're getting Scrivener. Um, and so I used it, obviously, um, throughout the whole book writing process. And then I've used it for, yeah, every kind of long form article since. So uh, I don't know when that was, maybe 2019. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Yes, 2019, 2020. Yeah. You have a chapter in your book entitled Focus. Do you use Scrivener's composition mode? I adore Scrivener's composition mode. Yeah, I, I love that so much. Um, I've tweeted about that a lot, actually, because I just, um, I, I really, really like it. I'm very distracted by everything. And that is just so, uh, okay, I'm distracted by everything and I really, really struggle with editing. If I had my way, I'd just be a kind of writer who just kind of comes up with all the like big ideas and just writes a load of stuff down and just to sort it out for me. Um, unfortunately, I can't do that. Um, and so I think for for close editing, for taking that kind of line at a time, because um, I forget all the Scrivener terminology, but I do the thing where it's the composition mode and it's the single line that's highlighted and the rest is blurred out. Right. So composition mode is when the Scrivener window fills the screen. So you're not distracted by messages and your email app and nothing gets in the way. And then there's uh, the focus mode and the typewriter scrolling where what you're working on stays in the middle. I'll put a link in the show notes to an article I wrote about how to use all of these focus features, because it is one of the great things in Scrivener that you can block out all the rest and okay, you're tempted to switch to Twitter or messages or whatever, but it's harder because they're not visible, right? Yeah, it really, God, it it, it really relaxes me. It almost makes me feel like I'm in this little room. Uh, I'm in this new room where all I'm doing is um, focusing on that one line. And I've never written like that before. I've never had a program that does that where uh, it, it kind of blurs out the rest of the writing and the, that one line is vivid. Something about that just really works really works with my brain. Um, I really, really like that. So yes, I use that a lot. Yeah. If you think about it, this is a way that working on a screen is much better than in the past, because imagine you had piles of all these articles for your research on your desk all around you, and you were writing with a quill pen on paper in the middle, you would be in this morass of documentation. With something like Scrivener, you can put the research and hide it to go to writing without distractions at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what, I think about that all the time. And I think about how, especially in the book, but in a lot of my other features that I write, that idea of making connections between research as well. Um, so using just, you know, simple things like different, um, different colored fonts and things in Scrivener to tie themes together and things like that. So I was only thinking the other day how 
insane that would be if I was working with piles and piles of paper and how I'd remember where things are. So I think it, it in that sense as well, um, making those really important connections, which I think was what you know, what makes for an interesting book, what makes for an interesting feature is how you can connect kind of disparate ideas. You have a chapter in the book called The Future. What do you think the future of all this holds? Um, so I'm really interested in uh, virtual reality and augmented reality, but not in the way uh, Meta and Mark Zuckerberg are pushing it, I don't think. So um, I can't imagine writing or socializing much in the metaverse even though i have I have just written a feature about that actually but i can't imagine doing that much um i love playing games and i love nature documentaries and i love doing things that i can't do in the real world in vr so i'd love to see how that how that develops and whether that vision of us kind of working and playing in there comes to fruition because i personally don't like that <laughs> Um, but I'm very interested in the use of kind of augmented reality in loads of ways. You know, it's it's already used quite a lot in kind of business settings and design and enterprise and things like that. And uh, I'm very interested in how we can incorporate that more. Um, I mean, even in interfaces with writing and things like that, like imagine like a multi-layered Scrivener in front of your face. Like that would just be incredible because you could like move the folders around with your hands and things like that. But that's that's Tom Cruise and Minority yes. Report. That That's <laughs> just, there's too much stuff there. And the people who designed the UI for that were wrong. You wouldn't be doing that with your hands and moving things around. You would be sitting back and you would be telling it what to do. Yes. You wouldn't be moving it manually. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Or eye tracking or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I I wonder if can we consider virtual reality to be a screen in the same way? Because right now, everything we're doing, you're looking at a screen, I'm looking at a screen, there's a mediation between us. But with virtual reality goggles, you're going to be more immersed in the world and you're going to be seeing something that's not in front of you, but it's not like there's the frame around the screen anymore. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because I guess technically, yeah, you're looking at a screen, but you know, everything about it is different. I mean, I get terrible motion sickness in the real world. So virtual reality sickness is something that I have really badly as well because, and I was talking to someone about that the other day and they were saying that, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily work in the same way as uh, motion sickness in the real world. It's similar, but some of it could be to do with the fact that the screen is just so close to your eyes <laughs> and there are, you know, I'm, I can't remember all the kind of technical um explanation for it but he said one of the reasons could be that we're just not used to looking at something that close so the way your eye kind of moves is messing up your brain a little bit and your uh, and and your balance um so yeah i think it is very different yeah okay i like to ask my guests if they have a book that they can recommend what have you been reading recently that you think our listeners might like i've just had a reread of a book that uh I read last year and um, I'm not a religious person, but I feel like it's the closest I've got to like a religious experience. It's the most profound book. It's called, um, I'm, I've just got it here and I always get the title wrong. This is How You Lose the Time War by Amal El-Motar and Max Gladstone. And it is a it's fiction, it's science fiction. I'd say it's kind of romance, even though I'm not, um, that's not really my cup of tea usually, but it's a kind of a time travel universe spanning love story and it is it's beautiful it's kind of like poetry it's um yeah i can't i can't describe it it's very genre defying it's uh but yeah it's beautiful and i thought i wouldn't enjoy it as much on the second read i was really worried that i wouldn't but uh yeah i thought it was really yeah really profound yeah okay before we go i have to know what is your very obscure and nerdy guinness world record oh <laughs> 
uh, me and a colleague, um, it was at Liverpool Street Station. We went to a kind of a media event where there was a massive, um, uh, a massive controller, massive games controller. And uh, let me get this right. The official uh, record is we got the highest Tetris score on the biggest games controller ever made. There we go. Congratulations. Well, Becky Caddy, you. thank you for joining me. Your book is Screen Time. Links in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you. If you like the podcast, please follow it in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. To learn more about Scrivener, go to ScrivenerApp.com. Join us next month for another conversation on Right Now with Scrivener. <laughs>